Guaranteed not to be as exciting as Luke Littler, welcome to the Autosport Top 50 on Motorsport 101. Everybody else had to get a dance reference in, so why couldn't me? Episode, welcome to episode 492 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. Glad you could listen in. Happy New Year, everybody! Happy well, New Year! Welcome to the first podcast of 2024. Glad you could join us. Um, uh, here, me and RJ O'Connell, just the two of us on here, um, the darts fans equivalent of the Motorsport 101 podcast, are here missing the live final so we can record along with you. We Aren't, aren't you lucky? Uh, as, as Chris Hardy says in our chat, New Year, same podcast. And that's and that's wild. But uh, glad you could join us as ever. I hope you guys are enjoying the first few days of 2024. And uh, yeah, we'll get cracking in a moment with the Autosport Top 50. And uh, yes, me reacting to said list again. Um, because apparently you guys seem to really like this, this, this show, this special we do every year, because you like seeing me want to pull my hair out. Thanks, always. It's, You're a great it's the hardest thing in like internet content is to just watch other people react to content that has already been made for them. Of course, and let's be real here. Who, as men, who doesn't love a good list? I do. I love a good listicle. Yeah, um, listicles are great. I love they them. Are- they're just, they're just easy, fun content, which you will inevitably have a reaction to and go completely over the top over. It's what we do here on this show. Um, <laughs> XQC, but better. Um, I, I, did, I did have a, a warm-up topic to get into. Wait a minute. Is this a, is this a reference to uh, a certain uh, affiliate of XQCs that has just entered the news lately in Formula One? Might do. Um, depends uh, if we, if we we're now calling them the Steak F1 team officially. That's the new name of of the artists formerly known as Sauber. Um, I, I was going to talk about IndyCar struggles at the moment, but I thought that was what you brought it up before. But we'll go into a little bit of that as well. I mean, yeah, Steak F1 team is now the new Alfa Romeo outfit because obviously Alfa Romeo have moved on from uh, their F1 days. I think they're looking for a WEC deal of some kind um, as a tie-up. So uh, the gambling uh, sponsor and the gambling uh, outfit has decided to sponsor the team full-time. And they've put the... uh, the streaming affiliates kick on the chassis as well. So it's the kick F1 car, which I hate. Um, <laughs> and they'll be going by the kick F1 team in places where there are gambling sponsorship restrictions. Isn't that fun, RJ? Let's just call this Craven Tarani Motorsport. Ed Craven and Bijan Tarani founded both these services. Uh, it's going to be very funny. Uh, First of all, it's very funny. People are like, well, how could you have a team named after something that you can't even advertise in all these countries, forgetting that Scuderia Ferrari Marlboro and Scuderia Ferrari Mission Winnow have existed in both of our lifetimes? Um, it's silly. Uh, for their sake, I just hope they're not participation trophy candidates again. You and me both, and look, I, I've joked about this on our Discord server. The guy who used to used to work in this industry, gambling sponsors and gambling chains have more money than God when it comes to marketing budgets. They will throw bucket loads of cash at sporting entities to promote themselves, and I, I don't know what the going rate is to title sponsor a Formula One team. 
but it must be easily seven or eight figures. So, like, it's that, that is a shitload of cash, and I hope it works out for them, and I hope it's a plus to that team, because I like Sauber. I've always liked Sauber. Their drivers are good people. I want Valtteri Bottas and Joe Guanyu to do well, um, and I, I, I would like to see how they get down. Also, RJ, we didn't get a lot of time to talk about it on the show because obviously Christmas and other big specials came around. But New Year, respiratory viruses, travels. It's still got a cough. Yeah, we'll we'll give it away. Um, (laughs) But uh, I mean, IndyCar has has had a bit of a hiccup and they've had a lot of chat over Christmas because of the situation where Honda pretty much came out on the record and said, look, we're not getting a return on our engine investment right now. And if shit doesn't change, we're going to likely quit at the end of 2026. I mean, what did you make of that when that news first came around? Um, That's not good. And it's important to point out as well that Honda has had a massive restructuring in the North American side because Honda Racing US is no longer HPD. It is Honda Racing Corporation US. So now we've got that brand synergy between all the Honda racing activities, Honda's got a brand new Formula One tie-up that they're, they've got their eyes on. They've got IMSA GTP, which has what was going to be the new IndyCar internal combustion engine paired to a hybrid system that actually works. Uh, Honda really wants to get more out of like the not the non-internal combustion engine side. They want to focus more on like hybrid technology, software. software. They're mm-hmm. pushing more towards a single supply internal combustion engine where the difference is like the hybrid the hybrid stuff. And who knows if that's going to come out. So ultimately may, may end up still with a single internal combustion engine supplier. And who knows if General Motors and Ilmore are going to have the resource to do it all themselves. I mean, they probably will, but do they want if to? it happens... If it happens, you're not going to see the sort of high mid to high 20s turnout at races that aren't the 500 that you see nowadays. Also, very interesting that Racer.com in the latest Racer mailbag from Marshall Pruitt, uh, he said pretty much that like Toyota was like Toyota was closer to getting over the line than we initially thought. Mm. But then they had a change in CEO in their North American division, and he was just like, now well my logic has always been this honda powers i want to say 15 cars in the field of 27 right now they have the majority of the field including the reigning champions of chip ganassi racing um if that situation exists honda is powering the best team in indycar as well as more than half the field in general and they're not getting a return on their investment Mm -hmm. why would anyone want to come into this series right now as a supplier you've got Arguably, if you're Honda right now, you have the most bargaining tools on the table. You've got the power play, and yet you can't you can't see a return of, of your money. Like that doesn't set. I mean, again, their engines are ten years old. Their hybrids yeah. two years behind schedule. I mean, we're saying that we're going to get it sometime in the back half of the season. We don't know when yet. And um, I think at this point, if you're delaying it to the back half of 2024, you might as well delay it to the start of 2025 because we talked about it offline. A mid-season introduction of a whole new component could very, very much influence a championship. Yeah, in, I'm not in on that. that way. 
yeah, I'm, I'm not keen on a mid-season regulation change. I, I think they are generally bad ideas, and I think they cause more problems than they solve. Um, and yeah, like I, Dardy makes a good point. Chevrolet won the manufacturer's title and the 500. Um, that is true, um, but at the same token, like. Chevrolet is General Motors, and Chevrolet of and General Motors have now committed to an F1 power unit by 2028. That is already an extremely expensive development. On program. top of multi-class endurance racing efforts, on top of mm-hmm. NASCAR, which is you know the backbone of their North American motorsports operations, they've got a lot, and they're adding more to their plate. I think they could do it, but again, it's you're not going to see 28 cars rolling up for races that are not the 500 if this happens you're you're gonna see a lot of downsizing if we hit worst case scenario we only have one oem partner i mean it worked for a lot of the 60s back when offenhauser was basically the engine you want to have and the engine you want to have if you want to be in the good graces of racing organizers if you know you know but it's different nowadays uh engines aren't cheap hybrid technology isn't cheap Game's different now. I sure hope they figured this out. I hope this is not a case of like Honda's already made up their mind and they're leaving anyway, no matter what they present to the table. But it's an it's another thing where I just I'm not so much angry. I'm not angry. I don't think Roger Penske is just somebody that doesn't think about the future of the series in which he invests in. No. But I think he's also somebody that needs to really think about, you know, the strength of the leadership that he has kept in place when he bought the series from Holman and company. Yeah, it's 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 one of these things where this another hardy in the chat who knows his indie cars who's reported for indie car for many years from, from a range of places said what leadership um and that kind of says it all um it's it's not promising at all um we know indycar has their issues in general we've spoken about them quite eloquently on this podcast but one of the things that was always dangling over their heads for the last decade since as long as i've been a fan and beyond has been getting a third power unit supplier and, and they had they, one for one season and it's not good and that's the thing if you're coming in now you're 10 years behind the eight ball so like like you're not you're likely not going to win straight away if at all you know from dad is correct to be 12 years like they are a dozen years behind the eight ball they're not going to be competitive but for, for years after they come in where they try to close that development gap that yeah. i just think IndyCar needs a rethink on this because mm-hmm. your series is not attractive to people that could supply you with engines right now. It just isn't. There's nothing in there that says to me, let's go join this series. We're going to make a bunch of money. You're not making money. It's got a great modern development program. They're 12 years behind this power unit, which has been two years in the pipeline if delays already. Like, there's just nothing to say, let's go join this series. And don't get me wrong, I'm glad Toyota were apparently close. But I don't know what Toyota was set to gain out of joining that series. Um, so good luck to them, I suppose. And we haven't yeah. e- and we haven't even touched on like the fact that the chassis again. There's nothing inherently wrong with the engine or chassis themselves, but you could use a refresh. Like I can tell you on the chassis side that you could have something that 
better integrates the head protection like the AeroScreen without weighing the car down too much. You can make a lighter car and you can build it out of more sustainable materials. That's at least three things I can think of off the top of the head that would be a massive improvement. You don't have to change a lot aesthetically. You just, you got to have something fresh out there. Um, very curious to see where this all goes by the end of this year, if not in the next year. Man, I hope Honda sticks around. Yeah, it, 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 I'm all, I wouldn't say it would, it would be curtains for the series if it did, but it would be fairly catastrophic. There's not nothing good comes from them leaving. Um, there'd be a there'd be seismic issues of the series if, if that was to happen. <laughs> right before we get into the list. Let's quickly tell the good people where you can find us. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do it personally at Dre Harrison one hundred and one at uh, and at R J O'Connell on whatever Elon Musk calls his failed investment. Um, you can one percent value loss, baby. Oh, baby. And that number keeps going up. Line go up, etc. Motorsport underscore 101 for the actual podcast official Twitter. You can follow me on Freds if you want some of those highlights as well. Same username as the Instagram, which again, Motorsport 101 pod on there if you want to follow that. We've got some video highlights now up as well on the show. So that's always fun. Thanks, Gloria, for editing them. Very, very, very helpful of you. Um, also, if you want to follow us on the website, you can at motorsport101.com, including our blog section, which has got extra written content, including, which went up this afternoon, a massive Ask Dre piece. Thank you guys on Twitter for bringing some fantastic questions again, where I talk a little bit more about that said IndyCar engine crisis, as well as some of their diversity measures. There's a whole bunch of silly season talk in there about Jorge Martin, about the fact he said he could go to Honda. That's a wild, That was a wild interview I heard, and that well, not just for the slurry drops either, unfortunately. Um, and a bunch of other fun stuff in there as well. Do check it out. And it is the first Motorsport 101 article that has audio support as well. So if you like your articles being spoken to you by some guy of a weird London accent, that option is now available to you. And if you subscribe to us on our podcast feed, it's automatically uploaded on there like any other show. So you have two ways to enjoy the blog bonus content of Motorsport 101 now. Isn't that nice? And if you really like us, you can back us for financially on patreon patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 five bucks gets you early access to all of our content hey i might even put some of the audio tracks up early uh, as an extra bonus feature why not on patreon right and if you back us at the ten dollar level you can get access to the supporters club of our discord server where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded um we've got a bunch of guys in the audience as well chris Hardy's in there jason's in there good to see you guys hope you guys enjoy me pulling out the rest of my hair because it is time to review the Autosport Top 50 for 2023. You can't see it, but I'm crossing my chest as we speak. In 2024, as I might add. So, uh, standard rules apply. Uh, we're just going to go, we're just going to go through the top 50. Uh, but I think, I think we could just like leave it at, Number one and number two were Matt's Verstappen and Alex Pillow. And that's our show. Thank you for joining us. Uh, here's the place yes. to get this one more time. Uh, we're not actually going to do to you because I think this year the fun is in figuring out 50 through three and in what order they go in. Mm -hmm. and, and hand to God, you have not seen the rest of this list because you got tipped on number one and two. That was an educated guess that any one of us could have made without oh, even yeah. like knowing anything about like motorsport. Like who's number one? Probably Max Verstappen. He he won like everything there was to win except like three races. And now it's below. It's just like 
Greatest modern IndyCar season of all time. You probably get a guess that those are one and two. Yes. Now, I do know Autosport and how they set their rules. They generally, obviously, only put in drivers for the series that they cover, which uh, is always tricky. Um, and I've, I've done this enough now where I kind of know some general patterns about how they evaluate drivers. So this is going to be... I, I'm a veteran of this game now. So I'm expecting a British touring car champion in the first 10 names somewhere. And I'm expecting probably Callan Rovenpera somewhere in the top 10 as well. But... Like I'm guessing. These are educated guesses, yes. and I think I'll be proven right somewhere down the line. But, uh, well, yep, well, whenever you're ready, RJ, you can get the ball rolling. All right, let's get cracking. Starting at number 50 with the Formula One World Championship runner-up, Sergio Perez. Ooh. Perez at 50. Ouch. Um, <laughs> the man who was runner-up in the Formula One Drivers' Championship, 50. Ow. Um, I get it. That seems harsh. In the first line from Autosports, Jake Botzel, Leg was pretty much one of this year's biggest questions in deciding the top 50 was whether Perez even deserves to be on the list, if that tells you anything about how Sergio Perez's 2023 runner-up campaign was viewed. I've referred to it as the saddest runner-up season of all time. And, you know, it's not the only harsh evaluation that, that they got. Race fans put him below Lance Stroll on their annual list of mm. every Formula One driver ranked this season, which I think is silly, and I write for race fans. And I can tell you that that's very, very silly. Look, it's actually gotten to a point where people, I think, have treated Perez so harshly on this season, have actually now come back around to thinking it wasn't as terrible as I remember it being. I've actually gone full circle on Sergio Perez takes at this point. Now, look, I don't. I generally don't talk too much about the first... 10 or so names because obviously you, you want to start getting a feel of where of who they've got where so it's hard to yeah. react to the first few names and you got to kind of set the tone a little bit really but 50 seems harsh i really do think that's harsh given how much they value f1 and, yeah. and look, perez wasn't great this year no one is arguing that but 50th when Max Verstappen was number one for a guy that won two Grand Prix this year, had a couple of pole positions and a sprint win, seems really harsh to me. Perez dropped 32 places from last year in, in a season where he actually improved his championship standing and got a couple of wins. It's very strange. Uh, number 49 is a re-entry. He is the World Endurance Championship GTAM co-champion. He was the winner of this year's Nürburgring 24 Hours, and he was the class winner of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. He is Nicky the Cat Katzberg. And why do they uh, call Nicky him Katzberg, Nicky yes. the Cat Katzberg? Because he's always on the prowl. Of course, because he liked dogs. Um, personally, no? Um, okay, fair enough. Um <laughs> Okay, um, that that seems to track. Again, my my sports car knowledge isn't super depth, super in depth, but that does seem about right for Katzberg. You know, lower end of the top of the top fifty. But uh, he, I, I, he was also I, Daily Sports Cars 2023 GT Driver of the Year. 
Well, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. But again, he's a GT driver. How how high can you put a GT driver when, when it comes to Autosports list of all the series they cover? That doesn't sound too crazy to me. We'll get into that as soon okay. as we get through. Number 48 on the list, third place in the FIA World Rally Championship, the highest ranked driver that did not come from Toyota Gazoo Racing, Thierry Neuville, down eight spots, nine spots from last year. Remember the time when Neuville was in the top 10? Those were the days, weren't they? <laughs> oh man, uh, third in the World Rally Championship gets you forty-eight these days. That that, given how much the autosport generally values rallying, which I'm glad they do. I genuinely am really glad that they're one of the few places to give rally the credence it deserves. Forty-eight seems low. Maybe I'm maybe I'm yeah. maybe I'm tripping. <laughs> could could potentially be. I mean. It was a tough season if you were not driving a Toyota GR Yaris WRC. I'll tell you that much. I mean, he was third in the championship, but it felt like a distant third. He had a couple of rally wins, but, you know, at the end of the day, he was not yet matching a couple people that I'm sure will appear on this list later. Uh, number 47, down 20 sit spots, uh, is a driver who raced in multiple championships. Uh, but he was eighth in the GT500 standings and third in the Super Formula Championship despite missing a round. It is the two-time and outgoing series champion, Tomoki Nojiri. That seems low. That, just, that seems low. Just off of the Super Formula side, I can I can hear I hear you on that because let's not forget he missed a round due to a collapsed lung and that was probably the big deciding reason why he didn't come as close to winning a third straight title as he probably should have his gt500 campaign was weird in that yes his arta honda was always quick between himself and toshiki oyu but other than a sugo win that they inherited because the first place car on the road got disqualified in front of them it wasn't really that much to, to write home about. Uh, Jason makes a valid point in that in our podcast chat on Riverside about this. Um, like Japan's been shafted in general in years past. So, in the, if you want to take the glass half full approach to this, at least you could say at least he made the list, <laughs> which is more than could be said for Super Formula's general coverage and presence in previous years. So, I guess that's something. <laughs> On the subject of how far a GT driver can get on this list, entering at number 46, a brand new entry. He is the reigning and defending IMSA GTD Pro Class co-champion for Vassar Sullivan and Lexus, stateless wonder, Jax Hawksworth. <laughs> wow. We, we've come full circle. The guy we called the stateless wonder on this show years ago, Jack Hawksworth has made an auto sport top 50. I love it. That's fantastic. <laughs> you know I mean, good for him. Good for was, him. He, I'll tell you, having followed the championship all season, it was a great year. And yes, GTD Pro did not have that many full-time entries, but it's still hard not to look at nine podiums from 11 races and think, wow, that's very, very impressive. Two wins, a lot of pulls, because he was always the guy doing the time attacks. Hawksworth was just fantastic this season he's proving that you know he didn't wash out indycar for a lack of talent no 
and you know, I'm glad he's been able to find his feet and excel in another form of motorsport. I always like stories like that, and it's so good for Jack. I mean, re- I mean, genuinely, I'm I'm really happy for him because I know, I mean, looking back on it now, we were probably too harsh on him in general in IndyCar because we just, I think, we kind of underestimated the scale of AJ Foyt's mess back then. By the time we get to where we are with them now in 2024, we know Foyt is a messy bitch. As, as a team, we didn't quite look at it that way back when we first started covering IndyCar on the podcast in general. Um, before, well, they got to Kuma Sato. They're, you know, shit's great. And, you know, Sato was probably papering over a lot of cracks in that team at the time. Not, I not dropped, we really I knew it. probably. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so again, t- time is a flat circle. So good for Jack Hawksworth. Next up, RJ. Number 45 on the list is down one spot. Uh, He is somebody that we've been used to seeing around this portion of the Autosport Top 50. Now the winner of his sixth consecutive World Rally Cross Championship, even in a season where about a third of the races got canned, but it wasn't his fault because he won five out of the seven that did go through Johan Christofferson at number 45 on the list. What happened to Global Rallycross, man? Like, and why am I, that an extreme And like, I, I, we know how good Christopher. Oh, yeah, is. I almost forgot. Extreme E champion too, Johan Christofferson. <laughs> the series that they still think would better sell as a docu-series than a sports event. Don't ask. Um, and I have, I have a lot of people, I have a lot of friends that work in extreme and really do want that series to do well. But my God, the way it markets itself is terrible. Um, but I, I mean, it, I believe the food trucks are great. I, I did see Elizabeth Blackstock out there and her food trucks did slap. So fair play, at least the service is great. Um, but yeah. It, it almost feels flippant to see Christopherson this low on the list because we know how immensely gifted a driver he is. One yeah. of the fine, one of, one of the most underappreciated talents, I believe, in all of motorsport, pound for pound. Yeah. Um, and he, he, I think he just drives in series that don't sell his full talent, unfortunately. And that's not his fault. That's just the state of global rallycross and extremely not getting viewers. And that's. That's, that's, it's 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 a it's a shit stick, but he's so good, so good. Um, but I, I get why he's down the list. I'm not massively complaining about it. It's not through his fault. It's circumstance more than anything else. Yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, you put him in a you put him in a decent World Rally Championship opportunity. I know that series is having its own set of problems, but like mm. he'd do some damage. Absolutely, he's, he, he's I, also done a little bit that. of pavement. He's done some touring cars before. I mean, he's he's got the skills. Anyway, back into Formula One with our number 44 driver in this list, a re-entry for the first time mm. in a long time. He is Monty Graham, Haas F1 team's very own ace driver, Nico Hulkenberg. I did have Hulkenberg above Perez on my driver of the year list when I was coming up <laughs> with the top 10. So you know what? Fine. Um, I, I haven't, I, I can't complain about that. Look, Hulkenberg was worthy of an entry on this list. Hulkenberg was three years out of the game besides a handful of standing drives in unfamiliar machinery. He killed it, um, at racing point when he did come back. He, you know, and first full-time season back since since the pandemic year of 2020 and i think he was excellent i think he qualified extremely well got the most out of that Haas package on numerous occasions 
Kevin Magnussen is no slouch as a racing driver in general, and he's come back in and he's whooped Kevin Magnussen handily over the course of the season. Hulkenberg is a damn good racing driver, and I, I, I've stood by him for years and years. And since the first time he was at Sauber, I knew this boy was nice. Um, so I'm kind of glad that even at 36, even after three years out of the game, the fact he's getting some credit for walking back into a very tough formula and carrying himself very well, in my opinion. So yeah, I'm I'm fine with Hulkenberg there. That's that's that, that I'm, I'm cool with that. I still think Perez was harsh, but given Perez was there and given where Hulkenberg is, I can't really complain about that too much, if that makes sense. <laughs> well, speaking of Germans, uh, our number 43 driver on the list uh, was an early championship favorite in his respective fa- series, ultimately finished fourth in the Formula E standings from the tag or Porsche Formula E team, Pascal Verline, a re-entry into the list at 43. So that almost certainly guarantees that Evans, Cassidy, and Dennis will be higher up. This as well. well. Dennis is a given. We all we, we all know Formula E champions tend to be around top ten kind of area. So yeah, I mean, I thought Pascal Verline was going to run away with this championship early on in Formula E this year, and I thought like this is the year that Pascal Verline gets it all together again, like his DTM days, and it just didn't quite work out for the Porsche factory team all year again reliability concerns overall lack of pace the customer avalanche and Drake team ended up being the go-to that put Porsche on their backs and it, the story was history but once Jake Dennis got going he cooked and Verline just couldn't stay with them it's it's it, again I'd like to see where the other Formula E guys end up but Gut feeling is that seems about right. He was the clear number four man in Formula E this year, and I'm fine with that in the in the forties. You know what? Yeah, that's uh, that's entirely agreeable. I'm I'm there with you on that. Fine with that. Yeah. Uh, we have a new entry at number forty two. While it was not you know a bumper crop class dom- uh, headline by a dominant champion, this champion was still very very consistent. Picked up. Two wins in his series, a total of six podiums on the year to become the new FIA Formula 3 champion. It is Brazil's Gabriel Bortoletto entering at number 42. Hmm. Now, junior drivers in like the Formula 3 and two ladders don't get in very often. Maybe you only see two or three in general make the list. Yeah, Bortoletto was excellent in f3 this year it was a pretty i think i actually think it was quite an underappreciated formula free field in general this year and bortoletto coming out on top and then getting as a a rookie let's not forget this was his rookie year yeah like as a rookie and generally junior champs are normally in that 20 to 40 range 42 seems a little low for a rookie f3 champ but it's like it's 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 on the lower end of acceptable for me. I'm 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 okay with that, and that's my gut impression right now. Um, I'm glad that the juniors are getting a foot in the door. I'd like to see more of them feature, to be honest. But yeah, again, I've not had a massive problem with this list so far. I, I, I've, like Perez was a little low, but besides that, so far so good. Mm. Yeah, no, okay. no, solid. I hear you. Well. Uh, lack of skill was not the reason why this driver at 41 was uh, was not 
you know, a champion in his series. Uh, he was a race winner at Laguna Seca this year. He had a total of three podiums. He finished fourth at the 24 Hours of Le Mans from Cadillac Racing in the seemingly always cursed gold number zero one. It's Sebastian Bourdais, a re-entry into the list at 41. We'll, we'll ignore what happened at Long Beach. Um, <laughs> uh, interesting. I'd like to see where some of the other prototype drivers who probably, again, are the big-name prototype hitters, I'd like to see where they end up relative to that. That's a that's an interesting one. Um, seems, uh, dare I say it, seems a little high for Bordet. Give, I mean, how do you feel about it, RJ? Because I'm, I'm like, I'm thinking it. the 01 was infamous this year for all the wrong reasons. Again, it wasn't necessarily skill issues. It was not necessarily skill issues. Uh, the car burst into flames at Sebring. Yes, Bourdais had that locking up at Long Beach, but then you got to remember his regular co-driver, Ranger Van Der Zanda, locked the brakes in Spa, and that led to his almighty crash, which led to Ooh. even more misfortune. So this, the gold Cadillac car was not having a good time. They bounce back at Laguna Seca, get the win, but it doesn't really get much better until Petit Lama because... Let's not forget, they, they came back from getting involved in the wreck of their own to finish fourth at Le Mans uh, in that car. It could have been so, so much better. But it's at least good to know that, like, even in his mid-40s, Sebastian Bourdais has lost none of his skill or his class. We talk about drivers have papered over a lot of cracks at AJ Foyt Racing in recent years. <laughs> There's a list. There, there is a list. That, that, like uh, the, the, Takuma Sato was not the only name on that list. Bless his heart. I think there's a lot more um, names you could put up on there to me um, on that one. But yeah, forty-one. Okay, I haven't got too much to. I haven't got too many feelings on that at the moment. Um, I'd like to see a few so, more names as we get into the top forty. So ten on the list. How are you feeling right now? Nonplussed. Fine pretty good like this might be the least egregious start to a top 50 list we've had so far like uh, like perez was again perez was was i think harsh but like well that's the only one where i go okay that's a bit of a howler the rest seem reasonable enough to me where i'm like okay i can i can see an argument for for, for those names in that position um so so far not too many issues you know um, I'm glad we, we both see it the same way. Uh, number 40 is a brand new entry onto the list. Uh, he was, in fact, his championship's uh, leader in race victories. He was the runner-up in the FIA Formula 2 championship. It is Mercedes AMG Jr., Frederick Vesti. Ooh. This is interesting. Now, Frederick Vesti... I feel bad for Vesti because it just he was just kind of like persona persona non grata in Formula Two this year because we all knew he wasn't going to get an F one seat even if he won the title with Prima. Um, it never obviously with Mercedes and their team line up where it is right now. Um, like at best, he'd be looking at a Williams loan deal, and it just never felt like he was in contention for an F one seat. So we, it was kind of hard to get emotionally invested in Vesti. Pardon the pun. Um, but yeah, like 40 seems about right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that pretty much implies that poor share will be higher. Um, and. Hey, Dre, 
I need to tell you something. Uh, in addition to all of this, Frederick Vesti is the Formula 2 Championship's only representative in the Autosport Top 50 this year. What? <sighs> so Teo Porcher didn't make the cut. Jack Dewan didn't make the cut. Ayumu Wasa didn't make the cut. How? Uh, okay, I think I know the logic here. They've said... Their logic is because Vesti won six races this year and that Porsche only won once. That's why they've done that. Which, you win championships based on consistency, not number of wins. Especially it, when half the series have reverse grids. Yeah. Okay, okay. It's, it started so well. We got to 40 and it's like, ah, here we go. We, we, we got you. We let Dre get too close. They stuck a fork in my neck. Um, no way does Frederick Vesti not only make the list, but make it at 40 and Porsche doesn't. That's a joke. Porsche yeah. was better than Vesti this year. There's no getting around that. I'm By sorry. 11 points... Yes. And and this is not the only time because we joked about like talking about the Autosport Top 50 from 2003. And when you go back and look at that list, you realize that like they got Ryan Newman high up in that list and NASCAR Cup Series because he won eight races. Jimmy Johnson had a heater to finish the season. Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Kurt Busch and Kevin Harvick were competitive, but they didn't put in Matt Kenseth because he how dare he only win one race and just top five the field to death. They're not supposed to hire me at 13 years old, just like thinking, oh, can somebody else lead this championship that I actually like for a change out of the Autosport Top 50 panel? Like, come on. Yeah, you, you, you don't win championships based on number of wins. That's not how this works. That's not how conventional motorsport works. And your scoring system literally rewards consistency because of the reverse grid style nature of your format. I don't care if Frederick Vesti won six races this year. He was beaten fair and square by Teo Porcher. And you cannot sit there and tell me that Vesti was more impressive. I'm sorry. You can't do I can't do it. I, look, I would have been completely fine with Porcher in this spot at number 40 because, yes, there were question marks about Porcher's season. He probably should have ran this field over. He didn't. And that is a question mark. But. For Porsche not to make the list, but you thought Vesti should have done, and at the 40 spot, that's egregious to me. I, in general, I just think, man, there are not enough seats for to give these people opportunities in Formula 2 that Formula no, 1 they probably deserve. That just isn't. Um, we talked about uh, national touring car champions. Well, at number 39, we have a champion of a respected national touring car championship. It's just that these touring cars are grand touring cars. Okay. Uh, number 39 on the list is the reigning, defending, undisputed G DTM champion. Just signed today at recording to a one-off deal with the Rolex 24 from Austria, Thomas Prining. Good for him. Like, honestly, like, I feel like, and I think it's understandable as to why the DTM, does, DTM doesn't get as much clout on these lists as it used to do. I remember back in the day when Pascal Verline was top 10 for being the youngest DTM champion of all time. Renny Rass was like a fixture in the top 20 for a number of years when it was still super silhouette touring car racing. And now that it's GT3, it's a GT... Uh, it's great that... You know, we talked about it. He's higher on the list than Katzberg, and he's higher on the list than Hawksworth. 
you know, that's not nothing. But no, it is something. I know DTM is GT3 and all but name now, but, you know, I'm I'm glad he's on the list. I'm, but it, I, it makes me feel sad about the overall status of of, uh, of of DTM. Now it's champions in the high 30s as opposed to being a almost lock for a top 20 spot. But again, I, I just think DTM is not in as prominent or as healthy a position as it has been in years past. And so I think that's kind of reflective as to what the series is now, which is a shame. And that's not, that's not his fault. That's just, again, circumstances. Christopherson light, essentially. <laughs> Entering, uh, so we've had a couple new entries. We have a re-entry at number 38 on the list. Uh, he is the runner-up in the NASCAR Cup Series. Oh, it's Kyle Larson. <sighs> okay, fine. <sighs> Was he the second best guy in NASCAR this year? I'm not fully convinced. But then again, I'm not fully convinced that the the champion was the best driver in NASCAR this year either. And I hope the person that I did think was the best driver in NASCAR this year is higher up on this list. Um, we'll have to wait and see, but I don't, I don't hate it. I think it's a little high because Larson's had much, obviously much stronger seasons in NASCAR than this yeah, one. Like, like the 2021 season. I think we can all agree that that was like, and we didn't have to like any bit of it, given the circumstances of how that opportunity came to be, but that was his best season. One thing that did come up with Kyle Larson this year is that it just highlighted this dude for no fault of his own and sometimes fault of his own. He likes to crash a lot because I'm going through his racing <laughs> reference page and I'm finding five, six, seven retirements attributed to crashes. And that could have been the difference between him walking away with the second cup series title and potentially winning the Daytona 500 and him not, I mean, four wins, 15 top fives. That's still a good season, but we've seen better. We've seen better. And it never really felt like Larson was going to win the title. I think we were going into that final four. Did anybody think Larson was going to win it? I, 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 I didn't think so. I we thought it was, I, I thought, thought it was be, William Byron to lose. So did I. I thought I thought Byron was the guy in NASCAR this year. I thought William Byron was the best driver. Again, we'll see if he features in this list. I don't know. Um, um, we'll see if Blaney features in here um, because that's going to be interesting because by all accounts, he was a seven seed in going into the playoffs this year and he ended up winning the whole thing. He was the lowest ranked driver to win the NASCAR Spring Cup title since Jimmy Johnson won it as a 14. So we'll, ha we'll, ha we'll have to wait and see. Um, but that feels high for Larson this year. I wonder how the Indy 500 is going to impact his standing next mm. year. Like if he, if he, if he has a one-off appearance at the 500 that we're all going to be like, we're going to feel weird about it. But if he does well at that, that could really boost his standing. Uh, also, he's helped start up a breakaway in the world of dirt track racing. Uh, as Chris reminded me when we pointed out that Larson won the Knottsville Nationals. Now, speaking of championship runner-ups, at number 37, from the World Rally Championship is noted shed enthusiast, 
Alfin Evans. <laughs> no t-shirt enthusiast. <laughs> you're terrible, O'Connell. You know that, right? You, you're a stinker. Um, yeah, I mean, you had Newville in the 40s. Again, this feels low. Uh, this like given again the general again I said it earlier the general respect that Autosport has for rallying this feels low to me. Um, again, got some uh, wins in Croatia, yeah. Finland, Japan. So he's got three wins on the season. Fell short of a championship, but yeah, this does feel a little bit low for some of the uh, for some of the erstwhile title contenders. Uh, but you no, know, maybe there are some. I mean, Let's not forget, sometimes the best drivers in the World Rally Championship don't always run a full schedule, and we'll see that very much come into play next year when Cali Rovin Para runs only a part-time schedule. Right. <laughs> he might still win the title in certain aspects if he's good enough. We'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, I, my general hunch is that that feels low. Like, like normally rallying gets a bit more clout than that. Elfin Evans only being mid-30s is seemingly low for me. That, But... Again, I want to see a few more names before I really start getting an overall. We're starting to get into that sort of we're we're building a picture here, and I'm it was going fine and, until Frederick Vesti rolled up, and now I'm like, hang on, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm I feel like the Rock at, 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 at SmackDown the other day, already a little bit gassed out. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see, but uh, yeah, keep, keep yeah, going. That's timely. <laughs> at number thirty sits on the list is a young man who at before even turning 50, uh, 30 years old in a couple of days, uh, has set as equal the record for the most series championships in his respective discipline and won 12 out of 30 rounds this year. He is the newly crowned four-time British touring car champion, Ashley Ash Sutton. And there it is. <laughs> this is going to be great for people whose entire per personality is British touring car fandom. We've been doing this list, I think, for seven or eight years now. I mean, this I, feels high because he didn't, crack yeah. it, he didn't crack the 40s. He cracked the 30s. Look, as, as we've joked before, the BTCC champion normally ends up in the 40s somewhere. Colin Turkington, I remember, I remember, was in that position a few times over. Now I know the BTCC gets more clout within Autosport than most series it covers. This feels really high. Like I, I, I cannot for the life of me remember a touring car driver making a ranking this high on Autosport's top fifty in the years that I've been covering it. That is, that's nosebleed territory for the British Touring Car Championship. Oh, I yeah. mean, good. I mean, good for Ash Sutton. I mean, it's more than obvious he is the greatest British Touring Car driver of th this era. He, like, if you ask anyone, I, I think he's probably the best of all time. If we're if we're being honest, like, look, it's not the '90s Super Touring era, but again, he's won four championships, as many as anybody has ever won. He doesn't turn 30 for another week and a half. Look, uh, again, Ash Sutton is him. If you talk about British touring cars, because I do follow a fair few people that, that watch the touring cars every weekend. It's on. They they swear that Ash Sutton is brilliant. And look, I've, even I know how I've watched him drive. He's an excellent, outstanding touring car driver. I get it. Maybe this is like their PS de resistance for Ash Sutton becoming one of one of the true greats of his era by giving him a nosebleed ranking. 
I don't hate this, but putting him above DTM's champion, putting him above the WRC runner-up, putting him above the F2 championship runner-up, I can't, I can't get behind that. I just can't. Well, one I, thing I can tell you is that you don't have to worry about him being ranked above the uh, ranked higher than the FI the the FIA World Touring Car World Tour Champion because Norbert Mikulish did not make the list. <laughs> I'm glad we got that covered, so to speak. <laughs> right next. Uh, at number 35 is a new entry. Uh, this driver, uh, among other things, was the champion of SRO GT World Challenge Europe's Endurance Cup. He is the new Intercontinental GT Challenge champion. He won the Bathurst 12-hour. He won the IMSA Michelin Endurance Cup in his GTD Pro class. He won the Rolex 24 hours, and he did so while representing a brand new nation. That's right. It's Andorra's number one, Mr. Michelle Gatting, a.k.a. Jules Gunyan. <laughs> yeah, that is a name that, obviously, if you know your sports cars, he pretty much just did everything well this year, and and you, I, I got no issue with that at all. I think that's actually pretty pretty spot on for for for, for Jules himself. I think the, the guy's a stud, and he 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 had the Midas touch when it comes when it came to sports cars this year. He I, I've watched more sports cars this year as a direct result of our Discord server, and he mm. is a name that is always at the top of the timing sheet in just about every discipline he took part in this year. So yeah, I've got no issue with that. That that seems that seems fair and that seems fair to me. I think the only thing anybody would have issue with is when he went on the radio after his team won the title and he said I don't think I I shouldn't swear, but this is fucking incredible. And then everybody scolds him for swearing. <laughs> no, no, don't swear. Multi boy. Shame <laughs> on you. That's just terrible. That's distasteful. Uh, Mind your fucking language. Um, anyway, <laughs> next. Stop, stop fucking swearing. Okay. Uh, we just mentioned a current Mercedes sports car racing ace. So it's now time to talk about a former one. The co-champion of SRO's GT European Endurance Cup, the overall SRO GT World Challenge Europe champion, the winner of the FIA GT World Cup in Macau, and his last appearance as a Mercedes Works driver, it is Melo Lello Raffaele Marcello entering at number 34, down 10 places on the list compared to last year, strangely enough. Interesting that the hammer was this far down. That is that is low for Rafael Marcello. I mean, what do you? I mean, you know your sports cars better than I do. How do you feel about that? I think it's fair. Uh, he wasn't quite as prolific as he was last season. Uh, it's obviously like it's not nothing to win the GT World Challenge European Overall Championship. I mean, that's. That covers both sprint and endurance disciplines. He did it as pretty much a one-man show in a lot of regards. He had some very strong teammates to help him along the way. Uh, and next year is going to be interesting because now he's going to get the opportunity of prototypes that Mercedes cannot afford him. If you know your sports car racing, you'll know that Mercedes-AMG is, shall we say, a bit shell-shocked from 1999, and that's why they've never had the appetite to go prototype racing. It also helps that, like, hey, their Formula One team's making them enough money, so, like, why even bother? More than enough, yeah. Uh, so now he's going to leave Mercedes. He's going to go to BMW, 
A, which in its second year is going to expand the World Endurance Championship. There were building blocks last year that suggest that this won't be a total disaster, and he's going to be a difference maker for whatever sort of prototype effort that he signs up with. I know Rafael Marchiato well enough to know he's one of the finest sports car drivers on the planet. He he is he is an absolute asset boost and plus to anything he drives in that in that racing world. So um, we're going to be very interested to see how he does with BMW next year. But yeah, I, I'm, if you think it's fair, I will say that it's likely fair as well. Um, you know your shit on that and that aspect of motorsport better than I do. So I'll go with that for now. Who's next? All right. So we've gotten through quite a few of these through the list here. Sorry for vamping. Okay. At number 33 is a re-entry into the list. Uh, he was fourth in the World Endurance uh, Premier Class Championship, but none of that really matters because... He is also the reigning and defending winner of the 24 Hours of Le Mans at number 33, James Collado. Wow, the, one of the three Le Mans winners, 33rd. Hmm, interesting. Can't say I've got a massive problem with it, but it feels a little on the low side. Is that wild? It does... I mean, is it is it more not, because Ferrari wasn't dominant across the whole WE season? Obviously, they had that. Obviously, having the big Le Mans win, the one win that matters, obviously is is massive. But we know that across the WE season, they weren't the best Ferrari. They were they were the clear second best, but Ferrari had trouble unlocking the pace out of the car, trying to bring it up to temperature on cold tires. Uh, this was not. As some people who are not on this podcast will infer the 37 kilograms of Lamont. It was the 24 hours of Lamont. Collado pulled his weight. I will say, though, he's not the only driver on this list that made uh, on that crew that made the list. But he is okay. not the highest ranked prototype driver because we're going to jump right into a number 32, a driver who was down six places from last year. He is he was he did finish third in the IMSA GTP standings. He did make a series debut this year, uh, and he did, whether a lot of people like it or not, win the 24 Hours of Le Mans, although that one wasn't his fault. It's Tom Blomquist. Tom Blom, 32. Okay. Well, it wasn't Tom's fault that, that the Shank team ended up the way that it did. He could only drive what he put directly in front of him, and his Daytona performance was outstanding was outstanding there's no there's no getting around that that's one of your big marquee one-off events of the year or not say one-off but you know big headline races of the year and yeah. Longfist was insane in that race so i get it i i i i get it i mean we don't talk about the indy car so much but tom blom is still stupid good um in yeah. a prototype so and even if you throw out daytona like him and colin braun dominated the race at most sport uh the Petit Le Mans win was big, and they finished 22 points away from winning back-to-back championships, even after the penalty, which just means that, golly, that penalty was really, 
really silly. And it just goes to show how meaningless the IMSA GTP season title really is that to, that we are willing to get this emotional when a driver gets taken out of a race in the final hour to decide the GTP champion. Yeah, it kind of puts it all into perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> but yeah, okay, again, not got too big an issue with that, with Tom Blum at 32, that seems fine. Next... All right, so number 31 on the list dropped three places from last year. Uh, this driver uh, was another multi-series talent, uh, took a class win at the 12 Hours of Sebring, but of course we know him as the guy that had a under-the-radar low-key consistent season to finish third in the IndyCar Series points, and that is Scotty Mack, Scott McLaughlin. Ooh, Okay. Now, McLaughlin was really good in the back half of IndyCar this year. Like, I, I, And that's obviously what I'm going to focus on because that's more prolific for McLaughlin than his part-time sports car schedule. Um, he was excellent at, at Sebring for what it's worth. That's well worth yeah. a, a, a mention. But this actually feels kind of low. Although, don't get me wrong, I kind of get it because the top two in IndyCar were a country mile better than everybody else this year. Um, McLaughlin almost via sheer consistency, nabbed third in the end over Newgarden, his best friend and teammate, and Palo Award, who just for the life of him could not win to save his life in 2023. Um, or his plenum fire, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, this feels a little low for McLaughlin, to be honest. I think McLaughlin was really, really good in IndyCar again this year. Didn't have that ultimate upside of, a, um, of just beyond the one win he had in Barber, but for an overall season, I've said it before, if McLaughlin was able to combine his 2022 with his ultimate pace of his 2023 consistency and put it together, you'd have an astonishingly good driver. Right now, he's just merely outstanding. And it, there is an argument now that McLaughlin is Penske's number one driver. And the fact there is an argument about that says a lot about just how well McLaughlin has taken to IndyCar. This is you gotta remember this is a this is only the man's third full time season. And mm -hmm. he's now a bona fide title contender, an elite level driver in the series. He's a top you three driver now. And he, he and that doesn't feel out of place. So so from all that in mind, this feels low for McLaughlin. I think he deserved the top twenty spot personally. <laughs> I guess you. So we're another 10 in. We've already had our first questionable moment of the countdown. How's your heart rate looking? Do you need do you need water? <laughs> um the, Frederick Vesti will strike one. <laughs> it's actually not been too bad outside of that. Again, the, the the logic of not putting the F2 champ in the top 50 and having Vesti there is a is a big you know, a big red flag, but it's it's not enough for me to put the whole list in, in the shredder just yet. Um, we'll have to see some more names. Uh, McLaughlin feels a little low. Um, obviously, I think Porsche should have been in the top 30 uh, in some capacity as Formula 2 champion. I think he was solid as all hell this season. I think he deserved at least a spot in the list and certainly not at 50. Um the besides that it's not been too bad so far that's the impression that i get all right so at number 30 on the list is a driver who improved 10 places from last year because 
while he only competed in eight out of 13 rounds, he won three of them. Good enough to finish fifth in this year's FIA World Rally Championship. It is the eight-time champion of the world, Sebastian Auger. Hmm. Hmm. I will say that three of those win- that two of those wins included crown jewel wins at Monte Carlo and at the Safari Rally at Kenya, which is a notorious car breaker. What I find interesting is that he ended up higher on this list than Evans and Nouvelle for a part-time schedule. I'm not sure what that says about the state of the WRC and the power rankings in general. I get it. They're big headline rallies. But OJ was a part-timer this year. But he was good. Like He was a fantastic he... part-time. Is, is this just going to be the standard for rallying? I mean, look, again, you've mentioned it earlier. Caddy Roven Pair is going part-time this year. And I still wouldn't rule him out of winning the entire championship because of the way <laughs> the scoring plays out and how it, how it all goes. But is this just going to be the new norm? Ferrari and people are just going to dip in and dip out every once in a while now because that's kind of what the feeling is at the moment. I feel um, like and- for OJ, he's like earned it. Like I think oh, he's now like bored of just like going, going and winning championships. Like let's not forget, like not too long ago, like he was a sure thing to be driving for Toyota at Le Mans. I guess there were developments in his prototype racing career that. You know, he wasn't getting that ride that he was promised. So he was just like, I think I'll just go hang my hat back at rally car racing for a little while. And he's done very, very well to do that. And he's coming back for another part-time season and he will still be excellent. Uh, He will still win some rallies. I get why people don't like it, but it's not just like, it's not a total nostalgia. The guy's still really good. Yeah, he is still really... I mean, look, he walked back into rally and again is is able to just win rallies in a competitive car without even batting an eyelid. Ogier is still him. He's still one of the the greatest rally drivers of all time. I'm just not sure he should be as high as 30, especially given how you've laid out the rest of rallying so far on this list. It looks like everybody's taken a hit, and I'm not sure Ogier even as a brilliant part-timer, should be getting the nod over full-time runners in the series. That is that's a bit of an eyebrow raiser. I'm not, again, given how the state of, of rallying is right now, it's the one thing that's making it less egregious in my eyes, but, you know, it's, it's, it's messy. I get you. Well, unfortunately, I need to let you know at 29, we have another part-timer on this list who... Let's face it, only did a handful of rounds. It was enough to get him 20th in the championship when he finished ninth at Singapore. Oh, then I remember that he also took part in another single-seater championship where he became the first rookie to win on debut in over 45 years and finished as championship runner-up. It's Liam Lawson re-entering the list at number 29. And not just because we feel sorry for him for the way he lost that DTM title. 29 and we and, and we've only had three we've only had two f1 drivers mentioned so far hulkenberg was in the 40s perez was 50 lawson at 29 now okay like of course 
we should base this on his super formative season more than his five F1 appearances, in my opinion, because that was the mm. series he was designed to race in, and that was the what originally was meant to be the plan. And he was outstanding in super formative yeah. this year. No, no, like rookie seasons of that caliber are extremely rare in that series and should be yeah. treated and valued as such. I'm not going to oh, lie, yeah. RJ, this feels a little high. <laughs> A little high. I don't think it's massive, but I think him in the 30s would have made a lot more sense. I guess you. I guess you. Um, overall, I think we're both like very impressed with like how he adapted the Formula 1. I think we're all impressed with that. I think there's one knock that I have against Lawson's Super Formula rookie season, which was still incredible that he outpointed his two-time champion teammate. Yes, you have to couch that with the fact that Nojiri missed a race due to a collapsed lung. If there was one thing that is game needed improvement on, it was a qualifying because in eight races together, Nojiri outqualified him six to two, but that's really the only blemish on his record. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, that's about it. Exactly. So, no, I, I, I get it. I, I, I get it. And... I could certainly see the logic as to why they've gone as high as 29. I'm not, it's why I'm not saying this is an egregious mistake or anything like that. I think it's a minor, generous ranking, but I, I could certainly see the argument as to why you'd have Lawson as high as 29. Um, I think it'll be a bit, it's a bit strong for my taste, but I, 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 I get it. I get it. All right. So we move on to number eight. 20, excuse me, number 28, the brand new entry on the list. Uh, yes, this is a driver from another national touring car championship. So these ones are a little bit more powerful than the ones we talked about before. And in this championship, this driver won six races and dethroned one of the greatest drivers in his sport to win his first title. And now has a NASCAR future in somewhat clear vision because he has made a NASCAR start already this year in the Cup Series. At number 28, it is the 2023 Repco Supercars Championship champion, Brody Kostecki. Hmm. That, that one's a bit out of left field. Uh, where do you place supercars in the overall power ranking list of how Autosport generally assesses their series? Because on paper... I don't have a massive problem with this. No, nah, neither do I. I. I view it as like equivalent to NASCAR Cup Series level. I mean, these are both big, heavy, rear-wheel drive, high-horsepower, vroom-vroom cars. It's just that one of them primarily races on ovals and one of them doesn't. Right. And, yeah, I, I'm largely fine with that. I, I think him at 28 is about right for the supercast champ obviously he's impressed in nascar a little bit as well adds a little bit of a uh, spice into that ranking um you know so i get it i'm you know supercast champ does deserve some credit it is you know arguably the marquee touring car series in the world now um yeah I've, i'm generally fine with that for the most part Okay, so we move on now to a driver that moved up uh, quite a bit, 15 places from last year, uh, despite the fact that he and his team did not win a race in 2023. 
on the IMSA side of things, it was still enough to finish runner-up in the championship by just the thinnest of margins and one controversial incident. It's Felipe Albuquerque of Wayne Taylor Racing with Andretti Autosport. Yeah, that seems fun. Um, arguably should have been champion this year, given how we all know how Road Atlanta ended up. Um, in the end, there was a you know we it was let's just say it wasn't adjudicated in my opinion in the fairest of manners um, uh didn't finish entirely winless though because i remember like he also drove in lp2s and WEC and got a win at sebring to start the year right you know he's had a very prolific season this year um again in imsa prototype racing is you know one of the marquee prototype series I, I'm fine with that. I think in a vacuum, that's fine. Um, so, yeah, I haven't got too many problems with that either. That seems that seems pretty fair to me. Okay. Well, let's move on quickly. And, Dre, we are dipping back into the world of Formula One because at number 26, we have a re-entry on this list. Now, if you're wondering where this driver was that fall off the Autosport Top 50 so swiftly in 2022, well, it's because he wasn't racing. But this year, he was, and he was racing quite well. It is the top rookie scorer in the Formula One World Championship. It is McLaren's Oscar Piastri rounding out the first half of the Autosport Top 50 drivers of 2023. 26 for Oscar Piastri. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Maybe maybe actually a little bit on the low side, given that, look, I'm one of these people that's been a bit more, let's keep our feet on the ground in regards to Oscar Piastri than most. I think some people have gone all the way in with Oscar and thinking, well, this guy's a future world champ. This guy's going to be a future all-timer. You know, he's, he's in Lando's ballpark already. I generally have not been that guy, if you've heard me on this show over the course of the last year or so. So I'm a li- so with that in mind, I'm actually kind of okay with Oscar at 26. Um, I, we get it. F1's always going to get the most amount of credence. I had Piastri 8th on my driver of the year list. So with that in mind, I think 26 is probably about right once you factor in all the other series that will likely get their shine. Again, I'm actually fine with Oscar at 26. I think, again, maybe a little low, given that Lawson was 29 three spots back, and Lawson, I don't think, was making anybody's top 10s for five performances. Again, depends how you view Super Formula as an overall series. But I'm my overall roundabout way of saying I'm actually kind of fine with this. Okay. Well, at number 25, we have a brand new entry onto the list, and this is the driver who is the highest-ranked full-time driver in the IMSA Sports Car Championship's premier class, Uh, but not the one that you're probably thinking of. At number 25 on the list, representing Porsche Penske Motorsport, fourth in last year's championship, Matt Campbell. Hmm. Okay. Well, given we just had Albuquerque a few spots ago, yeah, again, I, I, I'm, I, I think it's about right, given how how, this, how Autosport is valuing the sports car driver in general, the prototypes and that ballpark of talent. Seems about right to me. Slightly above Albuquerque, again, smack dab in the middle of the list. I think that's about right. He, he and Felipe Nazar crushed it 
at Road America. He was part of an exceptional turnaround for Porsche late in the season. Uh, I've been told that it wasn't just like a killer app of one magic update, but Porsche just better understanding their car. He was also second place at this year's Bathurst 12 Hours. And next year, he is going full-time in the World Endurance Championship in a swap for Dane Cameron, obviously with the feeling that Campbell was going to help boost the performance on the WEC side because Lord knows that they needed it on that side of the operation. <clears throat> but it's not really the driver's fault. Exactly. Again, not, that's not a driver concern. That's a infrastructure issue more than anything else. Yeah, Matt Campbell's fine at 25 by, by the sounds of it. Um, I feel like I'm waiting for a trap door to come out from underneath because it's they've actually seemingly done all right with the last 10 so far. Well, I actually like this one because coming in at number 24 on the list, although he is down, uh, he's down eight spots for finishing fourth in the championship with only two wins. You have to understand that this driver was also not driving for a powerhouse organization. No one would classify M Sport Ford World Rally Team as a powerhouse. And yet, Oitanak finishing fourth in the championship gets him onto number 24 on the list. Now that I like. I like the fact they've weighed up the pound-for-pound pound argument of his rally team not being a top-tier team, um, and they've taken that into account when ranking him. That that makes sense. If that's the case, though, I would have liked to have seen Evans and Novel up a little bit higher than where they actually ultimately ended up, because I feel that's a big gap. I know OJ was, was what, 30? Um, so, yeah. yeah, I think... I think again. I think I think Noville and and Evans have been done a little bit dirty um, on that list as a result. But I think Tanak, where he is, pound for pound, series car strength in a vacuum. I quite like that ranking. I've, that that does make some sense, um, and I'm glad that's been taken into account. So yeah, that's that's that that I, I like that. I like that a lot. Coming in at number 23 on the list is a new entry to the Autosport Top 50. Uh, he won three races this year. He came away with eight top fives and 18 top tens. Didn't win any pole positions, only an average finish of 14th. But in the end, it was still enough to win the NASCAR Cup Series Championship. It is young Ryan Blaney entering the list for the first time at 23. Given where they normally put dominant NASCAR champs who are normally locks for a top 10 spot, given the nature of how Blaney won that title, I'm actually fine with that. Again, is he the highest ranking NASCAR driver on this list? If he is, I think William Byron's been done dirty. I really do. Um... If he's if he's not, because honestly, I would have put Byron above Blaney on my list if I was that way inclined. So we'll have to wait and see. Because again, I swear I do not know what's coming. But again, in a vacuum, given that NASCAR was a bit messy this year, and that I don't yeah. think Blaney was like again, like it's like it wasn't, that a, bad, it wasn't a bad year no, by all accounts. Ryan Blaney still won three races. He won. He won a crowd jewel event. He won the Coke 600 at Charlotte. And I was gonna say, like, it's like that scene 
um, when Top Gear are driving those coupes that aren't Porsches for 1,500 quid, where he turns to James and he says, you look at the camera and you tell me that the best 80s coupe you can buy is a Jaguar XJS, and James can't do it. In the same way that I'd be saying, you look me dead in the eye and you tell me Ryan Blaney was the best driver in NASCAR in 2023. I guarantee you can't do it. I, 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 I mean, I it's <laughs> tough. It is really, really tough. I did and mention the formats problem. I need to stress: this is not Blaney's fault. This is the format's fault. I can't stand the chase. It is dumb. Playoff rules do not work in motorsport. It's too massively out of whack. Like, let like I don't like it, and I I, I need. I need to stress that. So, again, right. this is not Blaney's fault, but if you look at the overall season, you cannot tell me Blaney was better than William Byron this year. I'm sorry, you just can't do it. That's my okay. opinion anyway. I get you. Well, one thing I can tell you is that I mentioned Marquee, wins and Marquee NASCAR events. Kyle Larson got in, he won the Southern 500. Ryan Blaney got in, he won the Coke 600. I can tell you, I can confirm to you now, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. did not make the top 50 for winning the Daytona 500. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Who's next? All right. Coming in at the Sid Vicious crushed car in the parking lot memorial spot of number 22 is a re-entry <laughs> into the list. He was second in the World Endurance Hypercar Championship as a member of the number seven crew. Done dirty at Lamar, if we're honest, but at the end of the day, you know, you're still the nominal manager of the championship winning team. That is, of course, Coach Kamui, Kamui Kobayashi. Oh, and he was also 11th in the Super Formula, at the Super Formula Championship. But this is more about his hypercar stuff. <laughs> he's never winning that shit. Well, you and I all know that. Like, he's, he's not winning a Super Formula race. It's, it's, it's wild. It's going to happen. It's going to happen sometime. Yeah, look. He was done dirty at Le Mans. And he... He, his contribution was race winning worthy at Le Mans. There is no argument against that for me. Um, and given how Toyota dominated the World Endurance Championship this year, it's hard to argue that they shouldn't feature this high. Again, especially given the other sports car drivers they've had around him in his ballpark. I'm largely fine with that. Again, I know I sound like a bit of a broken record at the moment, but. This this is decent for Kamui. He won, he won four races. Yeah, and he won four races in the second biggest FIA World Championship. That's fine. I, I've got no problem with that at all. He was one of the most prolific sports car drivers of the year in a series where Toyota dominated all, all, the, all the season except for the one race that matters most in the eyes of many. Yeah. That's fine. And we I, all know this... And we all know the series, let's be honest, was out to get Toyota a little bit at Le Mans. There's the way they sorted out the regulations, we all know was sketchy. And Toyota had understandable reason to be peeved by it, shall we say. I get it, but again, I go back to something I talked about at Le Mans. This that despite the fact that they got nerfed, they were they still probably were they were not robbed by 37 extra kilograms. 
At number 21 on the list is a driver who fell down quite a bit. Not as much as Sergio Perez, but he did fall down 16 spots. We are dipping back in the Formula One World Championship with the number 21 driver on the list, George Russell of the Mercedes-AMG Patronus Formula One team. I'm going to say a hot take here. I think that still might be too generous for George this year. Mm. Was he better than F- for me. Was he better this year? Was he better in F1 pound for pound this year than Oscar Piastri? He was not I, as strong as he was last year. I'll, I'll give you that much. Definitely. The, 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 here's how I see it. George Russell wasn't in my top 10. He was a borderline honorable mention for my top 10 drivers of the year. That's I normally do. If you watch my read my F1 season review um, on the website, Russell was a borderline pick. I considered him for a top 10 spot. I went with the Alpines instead. George Russell was significantly worse than he was last year. Like there were multiple races where he binned it of his own volition. Canada, he cost himself a podium at Monaco. He binned it at Singapore on the final lap in the clutch when he, when he, when he hit the wall. His race pace, and that's the thing about George, his race pace is still very strong. His overall speed is still one of the best in Formula One. He split the quarterfinal dead with Lewis Hamilton this year. He like over the last two seasons, over raw speed, Russell is. Or pretty much on par with Lewis. The race trim needs work. I think Russell tried too hard this year. I think he had a lot of setups that didn't go in his favor, and I think he tried too hard to overcompensate for that. And I think his racing suffered as a result. I think 21 is actually too high. I think he should have been where Piastri kind of is, maybe in the low 20s, early 30s. I think... George was not a top 10 driver in his own series this year, so I don't think he should be a borderline top 20 pick on an overall top 50. That's my general synopsis on that. I think I think George was... I think that's a generous... I, I get it, because George should have been in the top 10 last year. Last year, he was sensational. He was arguably better than Hamilton last year, pound for pound. This year, he needs to be coming way down. Of that big eight block of drivers that we had in the top eight, he was the clear number eight guy. And for me, I think that's a a very generous spot for him. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. So at number 20, uh, going back to the list. uh, So we made it through another top 10. Uh, we've made it through another another batch of ten, I should say. Uh, now we get into the top twenty. This is what this is real gut check time. Okay. Uh, but number twenty is a driver who actually fell down ten spots, and it's understandable because he went from back to back championship winning campaigns, back to back dominant championship winning campaigns, to only finish second in his championship. Now. Of course, couch in the fact that he was disqualified for the first race of the season, and he still doesn't feel all too great about it. Uh, but he did win the Bathurst 1000. He did finish second in the Supercars Championship. And most importantly for us, he won on his Cup Series debut at the streets of Chicago. It's Shane Van Gisbergen. I can't help but grin that SVG made the top 20. I like that. Because <laughs> uh, look, I love Shane Van Gisbergen, okay? I I, I can't (laughs) help myself. He is everything 
great about the old school term of gentleman driver just does shit and and, and i can't help but like svg for that he's he's such a talent and he's such an incredible racing driver and you know we all know he's been the force in supercars for some time and the fact he's been able to expand his repertoire has been wonderful and becoming arguably nascar's highlight of 2023 winning that chicago street race that race was the best thing to happen to nascar in years and it was almost its biggest disaster because it almost got washed out completely it was so close to being a complete disaster they could cut cut distance out of the race but at the end of the day we're just thinking like man who cares svg won that yeah like the first rookie to win a NASCAR Cup Series race on debut in 60 years. I mean, that's just, that's, that's special. That was one of, I would say that might be a top five overall motorsport highlight of 2023 across the board. Like that was one of those races where people that don't normally give a shit about NASCAR tuned in because they heard SVG was leading the race and they they flocked to watch it because they were like, oh my God, SVG's actually going to win this thing. And then he did win the damn thing. So look, I'm going to chuck half of my logic out of the window on this one. I'm just happy he's been getting I'm just happy he's gotten the recognition he deserves. I'm all for SVG in 20th. I agree. Do you feel that he is eight places better than Brody Kostecki? No. But I'll allow it. I understand why, because when you're that good in a one-off performance in your... And it's like, he was top 10 at Indianapolis's road course as well. Like, the guy has clearly got a level of adaptation to NASCAR stock cars already. And that's very promising. He's going to be doing the full Xfinity campaign and a few cup appearances next year as well, just as he grows into his new, his new career. But there's reason to be excited with SVG. I don't think he was seven spots better than Kostecki necessarily, but I like, I like SVG in the 20 spot. All right. Now we move on to number 19 with a re-entry in the list. Uh, this is another Porsche driver. He, in fact, was responsible for all of Porsche's two podiums in this year's FI World Endurance Championship. He was also a class winner at this year's Sebring 12 Hours. It's Lawrence Van Tour clocking in at number 19. Seems a bit high to me. 19? What's your gut telling you, RJ? I can understand it. I think there is a fair argument to be made that across the entire Porsche Penske fleet in multiple championships that Lawrence Vantor could be the strongest driver that they had. Uh, yes, he didn't win a race the way that Matt Campbell, Felipe Nazar, Matthew Jaminet, or Nick Tandy did, but I think... If you watch the World Endurance Championship, you know that there is a bit of a gulf between the purpose-built Le Mans hypercars with their own bespoke proprietary hybrid systems versus the LMDH cars, which have off-the-shelf hybrid systems. They're, I guess they are still very advanced cars. Some would say they're they're primitive. These are certainly not reskinned LMP2s. Definitely not. No, I'm not. But and in that sense, you can make the argument that Lawrence Vantour drew, punched well above his weight. And he did also, when you put him back in a GT car, 
won a pretty messy Sebring 12 hours race. Now it wasn't it wasn't necessarily the fastest, but that but I think we could all agree that that was down to the 911 GT3R, the new one, not having the best balance of performance situation. That was more of an effort driven by fuel economy and just ballsy strategy. I think back to Daytona and that that Porsche was a dog and he still thrashed the living daylights out of it. So I can kind of see their logic, but I can also understand why you would feel that 19 is high for a driver that only peaked out at a subclass win and two WEC podiums. You make a competitive argument, Sam Connell. Um, I'll allow it. <laughs> Who's at 18 then? At number 18 is a driver who fell down a spot. And I can tell, and I can probably tell that when I tell you who this is, you might be very surprised because he had another strong season, strong enough to finish second in the IndyCar series. It is Scott Ditson clocking in at number 18. Hold on a damn minute. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> Scott Dixon just had a phenomenal IndyCar season, and he was 18? What? <laughs> um, he no. didn't kick. He didn't really kick on until late. He's in the top 10 for me. Dixon would have won the IndyCar title this year if it wasn't for Alex Pillow having arguably its greatest modern season ever. Yeah. Like, Dick, that is low. That is really low for Dixon. I get it. He didn't win the championship. And yes, maybe his greatest success came at the end of the year. I don't know when these rankings are finalized per se. But you shouldn't have an excuse given IndyCar season finishes in September. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, I don't think it was down to that. I, you know, you kick on late. You know, ultimately, like yes, he's having a great season, but it's overshadowed by that of your teammates. But it does feel very low. I agree. <sighs> I, I, I think Dixon's top ten. I really do think Dixon's top ten. I think eighteen is. Because it's going to be majority, like there's going to be, I reckon, at least two Formula E drivers above this, maybe three. Um, I know Rov and Pair are still to come. I know there's a, the problem is there's a big chunk of competitive F1 drivers we've not even touched yet. And I've got a feeling that a few of them are going to feature very shortly. So, oh, hey, you mentioned Formula E drivers. Oh. Entering at number 17 on the list, down five spots from last year, the man who finished third in the championship, he, he's not getting FIFA points. He's not getting his V-Bucks. He is strictly free to play Mitch Evans. I can't really argue with this one. I, I want to, because Mitch Evans is my boy. And I've and I I am the last champion flag bearer of Mitch Bruh. But he did kind of blow this championship again. He was like, so it, close again. He was it, this close again. I get it. I I, I I think that's about right, to be honest. I haven't got I had a, Evans was on my list of names that I thought was gonna come up at some point. If I'm being completely honest. I think Nick Cassidy was better than him in Formula E 2 this year. 
and I obvi- and obviously Jake Dennis is obviously going to feature higher on this list, and rightly so. It, I think Jason's got it right in the chat. It's a good placing in a vacuum, but please do not tell me he had a better year than Scott Dixon because I just don't think that's true. I, I, I'm sorry, I just don't. I think I think Dixon was incredible this year. I think Evans was only very, very good. Um, so I don't have him. I don't have an issue with Evans at 17. I have an issue with him being better than Scott Dixon. That that's how I look at it. And I think Dixon's going to be a yardstick for the next few names. And that's going to be very interesting. Well, we're going to move up to uh, number 16 on the list. He actually grew another six spots to say. He's up 16 spots for finishing second at the Daytona 24 hours, finishing second in the Lamar 24 hours and winning Yet again, the FIA World Endurance Hypercar Drivers Championship from the number eight Toyota Gazoo Racing crew, Brendan Hartley. Good for Brendan. Oh, like Brendan is so good. Like, oh, like it feels like again because of his F one run, people are like, oh, Brendan was that F one failure guy. You forget he's one of the greatest sports car drivers of the modern age. Um, Brendan Hartley, like it's. I, it feels like he's the spiritual leader of that eight camp now. And he was like, took this almost like mature veteran role at Le Mans yeah. where it was like, I'm going to put this car in a position where it can win, bring it home Hirakawa. And of course we all know that didn't quite work out, but yeah. Brendan, Bre- Brendan Hartley is still a monster. So I, uh, it feels a little high, a little high, not massively out of place. Again, the Dixon argument is going to come into play here. Did it feel like he had a better year than Scott Dixon? It's it's tough because, like like you said, uh, they they didn't win the most races that went to the seven crew, but the eight crew was steadier because they only finished one race outside the top two. And that was at Monza. It sits. And that was because Sebastian Wemmy decided I'm going to try and win the race on the first hour of a right. six hour race. And that's why Sebastian Wemmy did not make the list. Rio Hirakawa did not make the list. Mike Conway did not make the list. And Jose Maria Lopez did not make the list. So we've just gone through all of our Toyota representatives in the Autosport Top 50. It's a weird thing trying to evaluate drive uh, drivers who share a car share with a car. other drivers. Yeah, and, and we all know that evaluating individual driver performance in sports car racing is not an exact science, even when you take some of those average charts and things like that. It's, it's, it's shout out not, to our friends at the B-Pillar. Shout out to B-Pillar. But we know it's not straightforward. Um, I'm going to assume Hartley's the top of the sports car regulars. Um, if that's the case... I take that as a no, um, given that you just <laughs> given his reaction on, on camera. I've just seen. I'm going to assume that's not the highest sports car regular on this list, but I think Hartley. I, I love Brendan Hartley. I think it's a little high. Next, okay. next up on the list, I'm actually going to give you a double because the next two names on the list are okay. both Scuderia Ferrari F1 drivers. Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. Now, the question for you is, who do you think they put ahead? If they put Carlos Sainz in front of Charles, I will fight someone. 
I'm going to, I'm going to play it safe. You don't have to fight anybody because Oof. they put Charles signs at 15 down one place from last year and Charles Leclerc at 14 down uh, uh, 12 places from last year. Charles Leclerc should probably be in the top 10. Charles is still really, really good. Like I, I don't... What more does Charles Leclerc have to do? He was robbed on so many occasions in Formula 1 this year that were not on him. The most egregious error he made all season was Australia. And even like and even that wasn't a huge boo-boo. The rest of his season was outstanding. The team blatantly favored signs on setup until the final floor upgrade and after that Leclerc was cooking for the rest of that year. Five pole positions, was unlucky not to have won a race. He was put on the wrong strategy in the same race that Carlos Sainz would go on to win in Singapore. And if I'm honest, Sainz should have been clocked for a penalty in Monza for the way he was driving towards the end of that race. He, I think the teammate clause was what was what let him get away with it. Um, if you're making contact with a guy and going over a corner, that's normally a slam dunk five seconds and it wasn't called. Um, and I think he was better than signs this year and i and i i think he was comfortably better than signs this year i think given how competitive that upper end of formula one was this year that sort of two through six or seven spot i can understand why some guys are going to be a little lower because you've got to throw in alonso i'm sure he's going to be in there somewhere i'm sure lando norris is going to be in there somewhere coming up i'm sure hamilton will be in there somewhere coming up so I can understand as a general, you might want to bring some of those names down, but I think Leclerc seems low. And I and again, were both of them better than Scott Dixon? I know I keep coming back to this point, but Dixon should not be at 18. I think that's a... The more I think about it, the worse well, it gets. Well, here's one question I propose. Was Carlos Sainz Jr. better than Oscar Piastri or George Russell? Because I can tell you, my job... We put Oscar Piastri seven out of all the F1 drivers, George Russell eight, Carlos Sainz nine. I had Sainz at seven. So I I, I guess there's a name that's not been even mentioned on this list, and I find it very sad that he's probably not going to make it, and that name is Alex Albon. I'll move on to number 13 on the list, a driver who fell down sit spots despite, despite... finally achieving a milestone in his career that many thought he might never achieve or have to wait a while to do so. Uh, in fact, he was probably the strongest driver, if not the strongest driver in his discipline. It wasn't quite enough to make top two, top three, or even top four in his championship, but fifth place in the IndyCar series and the Indianapolis 500 will be enough for Joseph Newgarden to make it at number 13. No! <laughs> Oh, come on! Get out! I, 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 this is your doing, O'Connell. You're the new garden man around here. I blame you for this. No! What? You don't even write for Autosport. I have no affiliation with Motorsport Network. New Garden at 13 over Dixon at 18? No. No. I'm sorry. Look... I get it. He won the 500. The rest of his season by New Garden standards was mid. He was brilliant on ovals this year. No one's taking that away from him. 
He was a midfielder on road and street courses this year. That's just the fact. His average finish on midfielder. His average midfield. His average finish on road and street courses this year was eleven. RJ, eleven. It wasn't great. It was very feast or famine. It it, it is very famine. The ovals put his entire season up. And that's only five races out of what sixteen on the IndyCar season. And he didn't even get all five because he won four he crashed at five. Gateway. He's probably going to win that fifth one, but you know stuff happens. You've gaslit him because of the five hundred win. I get it. I get it. IndyCar themselves put the five hundred above winning the Astor Cup. Fine, fine. But for me, as a knowledgeable IndyCar pundit. I would rather have had Scott Dixon's season this year than Joseph Newgarden's, even though Joseph won the 500. As an, oh, I think in terms of quality of driver, Dixon was better than Newgarden this year, and I don't hey. think he, I don't think Newgarden should be as high as 13th. If you swapped Newgarden and Dixon around, that would make a lot more sense to me. Hey Dre, I need to tell you something. I what put Joe, uh, when, when I did my top 10 for race fans, which I was wholly responsible, I put Newgarden at five. Paddle Award is not on this list, and I put Joseph Newgarden behind him. How does Paddle Award not make the top 50? We all know he was robbed of at least one win. Paddle Award is so good. <laughs> like, honestly, like, what? Was it, was it the fact he went winless? Was it that mid season slump that he had? I don't know, but. You're telling me McLaughlin was 31, but Newgarden was so much better at 13? I'm, I'm, I can't get there, RJ. I'm sorry. I just can't. It like, begins. <laughs> I, I'd, say, I'd say it already begun when I told him that Dixon was a, at 18, but then I, I looked down this list and I realized, oh, he's not going to like Newgarden at 13. Nope. You'd be right to think that. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, can I round out this batch of 10 drivers with sure. something that you'll actually like? Because I'm here to let you know that Ryan Blaney was not the highest ranked NASCAR Cup Series driver in the Autosport Top 50. Oh, because coming in at number 12 is a brand new entry to the series. The man who won the most races of any driver in the NASCAR Cup Series, the man who finishes the regular season points champion, the man who, if we still had a normal playoffs uh, point system, would have probably been the champion in the number 24 Hendrick Motorsport Chevrolet. It's William Byron. Byron. Okay. I'm fine with that. Again, in a vacuum... William Byron was the best driver in NASCAR this year for me, personally. I think if we had a conventional scoring system, I suspect Byron probably would have been top of the pile this year. The playoff format ultimately did not suit him because he just wasn't good in the final race. It wasn't as good in Phoenix as Blaney and Chastain and others were on the day. I think Byron was the best driver in NASCAR this year best driver in NASCAR is normally fringe top 10, sometimes in the top 10 in a really good year. That's fine. In a vacuum, Byron at at 12 is fine. 
um, I've got I've not got a problem with that. But again, I say, what was Dugan doing this high? Um, so it just makes everything else around it look janky as a direct result because Dixon was eight. Dixon was eighteen. What? <sighs> go, go on, go on. Who's next? Before I lose, before I blow a gasket. <laughs> At number 11 is a driver who, like a number of other drivers that we talked about, won championships in multiple series this year. It just so happens that he is, uh, he, that uh, you were right to think that, you're actually wrong to think that Brendan Hartley was the highest rated sports car racing driver on this list because this driver won the GT500 championship. And I'll ah. also tell you that this driver also won the Super Formula Championship, meaning that number 11 on the list, a brand new entry for the first time, Toyota WEC Junior, Ritomo Miata. Yeah! You know what? Fucking great. I'm I'm really glad that he's been given the credit he deserves because, like, like as we've said on this show to double up and win Super Formula and the GT500 title is a remarkable achievement. It's, some, it's what only happened, what, six times ever? Um, six times say. ever across five people, and he's the youngest that's ever done it at the age of 24. That boy nice. That boy nice. That boy and so I, nice. And we've criticized him. We've criticized Autosports list in the past for not acknowledging Japan enough. As a as a motorsporting country and an entity, Rotomo nearly cracked the top ten, and I'm really glad that Autosport gave him similar credence that we did on this show and in our award show. We made him a finalist for Athlete of the Year because that was deserving. I'm glad that that Rotomo got nominations and was good enough to make the top four in our in our ballot for that because he deserved an honourable mention in that list, and I'm glad. But honestly, I'm completely okay with Rotomo Miata at 11. That is absolutely fine. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Maybe just outside the top 10 is just about right. Like I said, F1 was loaded this year. Formula E was competitive, and we all knew, and we all know who the top two are. So, yeah, that that's completely fine. Can I also say as well, this is one of the last contributions that Jamie Klein made as an autosport editor before he took on his new job. So I'm glad that his last contribution was making sure that Miata got a place in the top 50 that he rightfully deserved. Thank you, Jamie, for that. He's going to be so good next year. <laughs> I can't I can't wait to see him in Formula 2. It's going to be fascinating. I can't wait to see him in Daytona in a couple of weeks. That's oh, going to be great. Yeah, delighted for, delighted for him. Delighted that Autosport has corrected the wrongs of previous years by predominantly featuring the best of Japan on the list in multiple spots. Because um, Lawson, the bulk of his 29 ranking was on his Super Formula season for me, not his five F1 standings. So I'm glad in general that the best of Japan has been given a platform to shine this year. That is a genuine improvement and a props to Autosport for writing that wrong. Into the top 10. All right, so now we've made it to the top 10. We have really eight more drivers to discuss because as we mentioned at the top of the show, number one is Max Verstappen, number two is Alex Below. It was just like we had in our M101 awards. Yeah. You probably could have guessed it. But now we get into the part that's really interesting. Number 10 through number three. 
And I'm glad to let you know that at number 10, we feature a driver who has moved up 23 places, despite the fact that he only finished 13th in the Formula One World Championship this year. Now, how could that possibly be? Well, when you're the guy carrying Williams Racing from not just being a better last, but to the one of the class efforts of the midfield, you deserve number 10 on the list because you're Alexander Albon. And this is the yes. best we've ever seen of you. Yes, 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 yes. Excellent pick. That is perfect. I'm, I'm so. Ha- I was scared that Alex Albon wasn't going to make this list. Um, he was number six on my top ten F1 drivers of the year list. I think Albon did a remarkable job in the Williams this year. So did um, I. Pound for pound, no one did more with less in F1 than Alex Albon did this year. Like, he was exceptional. Those drives where he got that Williams into top eight finishes on multiple occasions were exceptional. Um, This was the year that proved that Alex Albon more than belongs on the F1 grid. He has become the carrier, the anchor of the Williams side. He's picked up where George Russell left off, and he's, he's made that team his own. And I'm glad that, again, he's been given the recognition that he deserves. He is worthy of a top 10 space, in my opinion. Um, That was an outstanding Formula One season from Alex Albon, his best in F1 by a country mile. Um, And I I, I feared he wasn't going to make it. I really, and I'm glad he's he's in there at the 10 spot. I think that's perfect for him. Well, a long, long way from last year. Like 23 spots is crazy. And so he should. He belongs you know, there. Absolutely. But I'll tell you what's better than moving up 23 spots in the Autosport Top 50. Moving up 27 spots in the <laughs> Autosport Top 20. So number nine on the list. And you move up 27 po- spots because he is the Formula E champion, Jake Dennis. Now that's interesting. Uh, it's interesting for one reason. Nick Cassidy's name's not been mentioned yet. And Jake Dennis is at nine. Did they put Cassidy above Dennis? Re-entering the list at number eight, this no. version's Nick Cassidy. Oh, oh, that's controversial. Oh, wow. They but put Cassidy but- over Dennis. But as a wise man once said, controversy creates cash, or at least clicks. No. Jake Dennis was a very worthy Formula E champion. When when they when Avalanche ironed out the kinks with the Andretti camp, Jake Dennis was the consistent perennial threat in Formula E this year, and he just racked up podiums and occasional wins for fun. I, I get it. I f- it's it's it hard was, for me. Clo- because- it was a close title fight. I think we can all agree with it. Like, Cassidy for a big chunk of the season, and he won the London finale. He did everything they could to win that championship at the very end. You'd argue that the first race... Mm, I don't know. But, but here's the argument again now. You put Frederick Vesti in this list and you didn't put Porsche in this because you've credited Vesti's race wins more. So you've clearly stuck to that logic by putting Cassidy, who won four races in Formula E, 
this past season. But then Evans also won four races, and he's only 17th on the list. Evans was two points behind Cassidy in the championship, and yet Mitch was 17th and Cassidy was 8th. Please tell me the logic here. Evans won two out of the last four. Ah, <sighs> uh, this is this is why everybody loves this episode when it comes out every year. It's great. God, we've been doing this for almost two hours, the, and, and, you, and we the, promised the, a short return. The, the the logic of having Evans seventeenth, Dennis ninth, and then Cassidy eighth. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I think like Dennis was like Dennis had that early season slump, but after that he you couldn't you had you could you had to bear hug him off the podium. Cassidy, yes, had the was the upside guy. He was probably the fastest man in the series overall this year. And Mitch was right there with him all the way through the all the way through the list. And again, I say Dixon was 18th. <laughs> And you've got Cassidy, Dennis, and Evans was above him. Oh, I, I, I don't, I, I can't get there, RJ. I, 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 like, I, Evans was not nine spots worse than Cassidy. I'm sorry, you, I, I, I can't get there on that one. And Dennis, like, if you swapped Dennis and Cassidy around, I'd find it slightly less egregious. Dennis won the championship by more than a round. Like I, I, I don't think he should be a, a whole spot lower than Cassidy, and Evans should be higher up this list by comparison too, because they were the three best drivers in Formula E this year by a country mile, comfortably better than Verline and way better than Jev and Buemi and Gunther, who were also in that upper midfield in Formula E this year. So for me, I find that confusing. <laughs> okay. Now we get to number seven on the list, and I actually lied again, Dre. I'm sorry. Uh, Rotoma Miata was not the last sports car racing driver on the list. Huh? We have a new entry uh, clocking in at number seven. He got pole on his uh, class debut. He got pole again later that year. While he didn't win any races, uh, Autosports logic is that he was the fastest driver of his entire team. That being the number 50 Ferrari 499P's own Antonio Fuoco. <sighs> Little high. Now, uh, this is fascinating because, like, I. Because this feels high. I'll tell you that Antonio Giovinazzi didn't make the list. And Alessandro Pierguidi, arguably the MVP of the 24 Hours of Le Mans, did not make the list. <sighs> I under I, From what I understand, Fuoco was generally regarded as the fastest man in that car. Oh, that, that, boy, that boy's quick. He did, not that, he did not miss out on Formula One because he wasn't, like, bad. He's, he's was great. He not, well, okay, answer me this. Was he nine spots better than Brendan Hartley? Mm. I can't get there, RJ. I can't, I can't get there either. Um, seven is super high. It's that, super. That, high. That's better than better than the top two in Formula E. Better than Newgarden. Better than Dixon. Better than Brendan Hartley, who's the fairest yardstick we have here. 
is Brendan Hartley. He's not nine spots better than Hartley was this year. I'm I'll sorry. Give the, he just I'll give you the argument that, like, he was punching above his weight for half the season because we all know that that Ferrari is not all the way dialed in yet. This pace is searing. Take nothing away from that. But I, do no, you can also make no. the fair argument that he wasn't the best driver in Ferrari if you look at it in some regards. I mean, he's quick, but sometimes he can be a bit scruffy too. He shouldn't be seventh, Varjo. No, in the teens, I'd be fine with that. Seven is nosebleed. That's that. No, what is this top ten? It, it's it's. Uh, dare I say it's a little schizophrenic? Because I can also I can tell you some other notable drivers that did not make the list out of the world of sports car racing. Sports car three six fives overall driver of the year Colin Braun did not make the list. DailySportsCar.com's Prototype Driver of the Year, Luis Delatraz, also did not make the list. Delatraz was... That's, that might be the biggest robbery on this list that Louis Delatraz didn't make it in any capacity. Delatraz was generally regarded as... Best LMP2 driver. The, the best pound-for-pound pound sports car driver of the year. Like, I know Delatraz was massively undervalued by many people. The fact he didn't make the top 50 for me is egregious. Um, but Fuoco at seven? Mm-mm. I, I don't know. Colin Braun's the big snuff for me when I think back mm, to was, was like That's fair. It was like, again, Colin Braun was not out here messing with the tire pressures, and Colin Braun won in multiple different disciplines of prototypes and in sports cars in general. You can make an argument that he was the best driver of that team, but he did not crack the top 50. Who's next? Okay. Well, finally, we restore some sanity because we get back to something that we're all knowledgeable about, and that's Formula One, because coming in at number six is a driver who has fallen two spots and finished third in this year's Formula One World Championship. It is Sir Lewis Hamilton. That's fine. That's fine. Um, Yeah, I think that's actually about right for Lewis, in all fairness. Um, Hamilton was second on my list for F1 drivers of the year. Um, but I like my colleagues and my former colleagues at the race had him as the number five driver on their list this year. They put Norris, Alonso, and Leclerc all above. And I love that someone in the chat just said, oh, just you wait, Dre, as I said that. <laughs> oh, good. Look, I think there's a four-man block in Formula One that were very, very hard to rank when I did my top 10 drivers of the year. I think Alonso, Hamilton, Norris, and Leclerc, I think you could have had him in just about any order, and I wouldn't have argued with you. I think I think they were very close. I gave Hamilton the extra pops because of his extra consistency. Number six overall on this list, knowing who number one and two are, knowing that there's still at least one big hitter to come outside of F1, I think I'm largely okay with that. Yeah, this is now where we get to the part where everything's agreeable. And at number five on the list, moving up eight spots, largely off of a strong first half of the season, although he did not break a 10-year winless drought, number five is Fernando Alonso. 
yeah, again, that's absolutely fine. If you had Alonso over Hamilton, given overall strength of team, and given that Aston Martin lost their way a little bit mid-season, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Um, Fernando is still him. He was incredible in F1 this year. This, this is a man who's in, in, who, in his age 42 season, in a first year, he's had a really genuinely competitive car since the back end of his Ferrari tenure. He proved he can still trade punches with the very big hitters. Um, and that's Perez, that's Hamilton, that's Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, etc. Alonso arguably had a weaker car than all of those dudes for large portions of the season. And Alonso barely put a foot wrong all year. I'm completely fine with Alonso at five. That's absolutely fine. You just flashback about six years ago when none of us, four, six years ago, where none of us were fine with Fernando Alonso getting as high as he was after missing the Indianapolis 500. My, how times change. Oh, yeah. At number four on the list, down one position, is the mm. reigning, defending, undisputed, two-time rally champion of the world from Toyota Gazoo Racing, Cali Rovenpera. Again, that's fine. Yeah, like, Cali Rovenpera is incredible. Um, the, the brightest young rallying talent we've seen in, in many a year. He was third last year. I thought that was fine then. He's fourth this year. I can probably guess who's third now, given my own logic I mentioned a minute ago. Um, and again, I'm fine with that person at three if it is who I think it is. Well, Kenny let's Rosen just rip the, Yeah, let's just rip the band-aid off. At number three, moving up six spots, sits in the Formula One World Championship, leading the greatest in-season turnaround in quite some time, Lando Norris. Yeah, now, this again. is fascinating because a lot of the discourse here was that Lando Norris, a driver that didn't win a race, ranked higher than the greatest young rally talent in the sport. <laughs> it's, it's that whole pound for pound argument again, isn't it? Like, do you give it to Roven Para for dominating world rallying again as a discipline or do you give it to... The context of the Formula One bubble where McLaren was the fourth best team overall, but let's not forget they were the sixth best team for the first half of the season, pound for pound. Look, I said I said that block: Alonso, Leclerc, Hamilton, and Norris. Leclerc was screwed. Looking back on it now, Leclerc should have been in the top ten. There's no way he should have been in mid-teens. If if you're putting Lando third, Alonso fifth, and Hamilton sixth. You put Albon above Leclerc? Yeah, I but love Albon. over Leclerc. What? Charles Leclerc might be the biggest robbery on this list now. Like, 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 what was what about Leclerc's season was comfortably worse than those three guys in that similar F1 block to him? I mean, yeah, because you're you're talking about four drivers that didn't win a race, but it wasn't necessarily all their fault. No. I, 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 I can't get there on that. Look, Norris is as high as third I'm fine with, given that he was arguably the second best driver in Formula One when they got the upgrades in. And that normally puts you in the top three to five anyway. So I get it. I, especially, if anything, the pound-for-pound pound argument is probably stronger because McLaren was worse to start the year. 
So having Norris third, especially given he had the lowest value of any of that block I mentioned earlier, is probably fine. I have and him there, Alonso five and Hamilton six. I'm largely fine with Leclerc should not have been in the teens as a direct result of that. Leclerc should have been in the top ten with Albon, and so, Fuoco. You can move Fuoco down to the teen spots, and I'd have no yeah, problem you, you with that. You could have swapped like Fuoco and Leclerc. Like I would have been okay with that. I can tell you that at least at race fans, we went Pierre Gasly at ten, Carlos Sainz yes. at nine, George Russell at eight. Piastri at seven, Albon at six, then Hamilton, Charles Leclerc, Lando Norris, and Fernando Alonso. By the way, Pierre Gasly didn't make the list. He should have made the list. Pierre Gasly was great this year. Like, for his first year in a real big boy team since his Red Bull days, and he's able to trade punches of Esteban Ocon, the established midfield barometer of Formula One. I had Gasly in my top 10. He was my my number nine. I had both Alpines in there, but I had Gasly just slightly above Ocon. And I think both of them would have been comfortably in the top 50. I think they both drove very solid seasons given the Alpine they had underneath them. Um, I'm surprised that, that Gasly didn't make the list, but Hulkenberg did. And that's nothing against Hulkenberg, who again, pound for pound, did a very solid job in that Haas this year, a professional job in that Haas. Um, I'm surprised that Russell was borderline top 20, but then Gasly didn't make it. I think that's, I think that's harsh. And yet we, we, we know that what, so Polo was second and Verstappen first. So that is correct. So I want to give you the floor to talk about one more time, just to wrap things up as we move into 2024, just talk about our top two drivers and give us your thoughts on this Autosport top 50 as a whole. The top two is absolutely fine. Of course, as said, Alex Polo had the greatest modern IndyCar season I think we've ever seen. He was clearly the number two guy overall on this list. I I, I think there was an argument he could have been number one, quite frankly. Um, I, I, I vouched hard for him on the award show for good reason, because I think to stand out in a series where it's designed by design, not for you to stand out, the fact that Polo wrapped up the title early for the first time in 15 years. The fact that he had an average finish of under four, um, he he did everything right. He He was him. He was the oncoming storm of IndyCar in 2023, and it proved that the 21 season was no fluke. He's now won two of the last three titles. He had the Indy 500 pole in one of the great runs that people will not talk about because it wasn't that Marquis Dixon run of 2022. Man had a 235 mile an hour lap round Indianapolis Motor Speedway in that qualifying run, and no one cares. That's how wacky this this whole thing was about. But it it barely raises an eyebrow in the list of Polo brilliance of 2023. Um, I, I'd argue he was number one. He was my number one personally. Um, if 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 it, if it was my choice. But I have absolutely zero issue with Max Verstappen. It's 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 a it's an F one predominant publication, and Max had the greatest F one season we've likely ever seen. How, how could you not have him number one by that logic alone? Polo had to have been superhuman to wrestle 
as an IndyCar driver, the number one spot away from any F1 world champion. And the fact he finished second, which doesn't happen for an IndyCar driver very often at all. I can't remember the last time an IndyCar driver was second on the Eurosports Top 50 um, at all. So the fact that Polo had to be as good as he did to even make people think about it is a testament to how brilliant Polo was, but also a testament to how great Max Verstappen was this year. Verstappen had to have one of the great F1 seasons of all time to cement the number one spot, and he did. There's no argument in that. My overall thoughts on the list were, it wasn't too bad until you got to the top 20. And that's where things started to get real janky. Um, Like, Theo Porcher should have been in the top 50. I think Pierre Gasly should have been in the top 50. I think Louis Delatraz should have been in the top 50. Um, As you mentioned, RJ, I think Colin Brown, I think, had an absolutely rock-solid argument to be in that top 50, especially if Tom Blomquist was in the 30s. I think Braun should have been featured in there as well. Um, The top 20 was where it gets real janky for me. I think Dixon was top 10 worthy, in my opinion. I think that's a championship season by Dixon, but in all but name. Um, I think Fuoco at seven being nine spots higher than Brendan Hartley, I think is wacky. I, I, I love Fuoco and he was the MVP of that Ferrari side this year, but I don't think he was nine spots better than him. I don't think Newgarden should have been as high as 13. Um, I, I, I think Newgarden... <laughs> The nature of IndyCar as a series is what's put him there more than his overall performance. And that's no disrespect to New Garden's 500 win, but I just feel like his overall season wasn't as strong as Dixon, and I don't think it was as strong as Scott McLaughlin, who was 31st ranked, and I think McLaughlin had a better argument for, to be a top 20 guy. Panama Ward didn't even make this list, and I think that is wacky in its own right. I think Panama Ward deserved the top 50 place as well. Um, I, I think the top 20 needs a reshuffle um, across the board. I think Dick, I think Dennis was clearly better than Cassidy. I think Evans should have been a little bit higher. I think Leclerc should have been higher. I think Fuoco should have been lower. Maybe Roven Pera should be the man sacrificed a little bit to compensate for a very competitive F1 upper midfield. Um, there were f- six, for me, outstanding Formula One drivers this year, and Alex Albon was one of those six. I'm glad he got his top 10 spot. I'm glad, I'm glad Miata got was just outside. I think that's absolutely fine in the 11 spot for me. I'm glad that Japan got the credit that it deserved um, in, in general. But I think overall, it wasn't bad until it got to the top 20, and that's where things got wild so to speak how do you feel about it RJ you've, you've, had, you've had more time um, to digest this than I have um, <laughs> I was just glad that as you mentioned Miata got top 20 Lawson under Jerry made the list I take those victories just yeah Verstappen and Pelo being one and two that was a given I understand why people are tilted about Lando Norris but like you know he was exceptional um a lot of interesting snubs from the sports car side, few interesting snubs from the IndyCar and NASCAR side. Kyle Busch had a pretty good season. He didn't make the list either. Mm, that's a good point. Uh, but, you know, that's the thing with these top 50s is that not everybody's going to make the list. If we had time to go through our honorable mentions, we'd probably push this three hours and we've already clocked over two. <laughs> 
Where's Christian Lungard? Where is Christian Lungard? Lungard was the breakout star of the year in IndyCar for me this year and didn't make the top 50. Then again, if Pato Ward doesn't, if Pato Award can't make it, then Christian Lingard can't make it. So I guess that's fair enough. But, you know, it feels like there's been a few robberies here and there. And one more time before we get out of here, how on earth was Scott Dixon 18th? I'm sorry. Like, Scott Dixon is 43 years old in what is what 21st IndyCar season? Oh, more than that. 23rd, 23rd season. He spent more than half his life in IndyCar. He's in his age 43 year and had an incredible season where he was only off the top 10 once. And the one time he did, he was taken out by Pano Award at Long Beach. 18th on the list. For once, I understand why Zoe Hamilton gets so heated at these lists when it comes to IndyCar rankings, because that is that is the biggest robbery on that list. I get it, Zoe. I know you're listening in the chat right now, and she's just put thank you in big capital letters. For once, I am in full agreement. Dixon in 18th is a joke. And there you have it. That was our that was our reactions of the 2023 Autosport Top 50 drivers. Thank you for listening, as always. I know these what these these shows always go on because it's always so interesting to see what a big publication thinks and how it evaluates pound for pound talent. I always find these sign these kinds of lists fascinating. This one was no exception. Um, I hope you guys found it as entertaining, and I know a lot of you actually genuinely genuinely play along with this now, where they don't read the list until I react to it. I'm honoured that some of you genuinely decide to do that. Um, that you value our opinions so strongly that you'll wait to hear what we think of them. That's that that is an honor in its own right. So thank you for those who listen in and and, and play along with, with like like I do. It's a lot of fun every year to do it. And uh how the hell did Scott Dix eighteenth? What the fuck? This anyway, is our new Valtteri Botas in twelfth. <laughs> The podcast that never saw the light of day <laughs> in, in, in 2020 when Valtteri Bottas was 12th and I almost blew 12th? a gasket. 12th. <laughs> anyway, I've been Dre Harrison. He's been RJ O'Connell. Thank you very much for listening to our Order Sports Top 50 episode. We'll be back a little bit later on next week to hopefully talk a little bit of Formula E as their season starts next weekend in Mexico City. I do love a bit of Mexico City racing. Um, so that'll be uh, fun indeed, hopefully. I'm um, fingers crossed. I'm going to try and get our old buddy Sasha Garlic back on the show. Um, they have, they're fantastic to have on the podcast. Great fun. We'll get that hopefully set up for early next week at some point. Here's hoping. Can't promise it, but... Keep your eye on your feeds. Until then, I've been Dre. He's been RJ. Thank you very much for listening. Take care. Sign out. Later, y'all.